Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Airfare, healthy snacks on the go. Airfare curates and delivers healthy snacks to flight crew, travelers, and aviation businesses. They've sourced more than 50 snacks from small businesses across North America. Hundreds of pilots love these snacks because they are healthy, unique, and have a long shelf life. And they're perfect for keeping you feeling great in the flight deck. Our listeners can get 50% off their first order of customizable snacks using our discount code pilots podcast at checkout so go visit airfarepouch.com to check out all the snack options and learn more again that's airfarepouch.com to use our code pilots podcast for 50% off your first order of truly healthy snacks Hey y'all, welcome back to this week's episode of the Pilots Pandemic. You're here with your host, Emma, and our lovely co-host, Maggie, or Maddie. That was a tongue twister. Hey guys, what's up? And today we are here with our guest, Maggie, Maggie Olchik. Um, Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi everyone, my name is Maggie. I am a commercial airline pilot and an entrepreneur. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, we're so excited to have you, Maggie. So um, I guess I'll start today with uh, our first like question. But first, I want to tell you guys about how how I personally know Maggie. So we've been friends on Instagram for a few years now, and that's initially where we connected. But I actually um, have talked a lot with Maggie about aviation nutrition and wellness and staying fit to fly. So I love that we've connected on that and I love how positive she is and the difference that she's also trying to make in the aviation world. So as always, we always like to start with asking our guests how they got into aviation and uh, what was the inspiration as well behind it. So can you elaborate on that for us, Maggie? Yeah, absolutely. So my interest in aviation really began sort of by accident. Um, My parents and I immigrated to the U.S. uh, right before the fall of communism in Poland. So as you can imagine, things weren't exactly easy here when we arrived. Uh, No one in my family was an aviator. But on my first flight back to Poland uh, for a visit when I was a teenager, I remember being really excited about the plane ride and how this big metal thing (laughs) would get us across uh, to the other side of the pond. So although I thought the flight itself was really amazing, um, what truly got me excited was how that plane could all of a sudden give you access to so many places around the world. Um, It was magical and I fell in love instantly with travel. So I didn't know anything about aviation or becoming a pilot. Um, So that really wasn't on my radar, Uh, but I knew I loved taking pictures, travel, and my uh, initial plan was to become a National Geographic photographer or a journalist. So I could check both of those boxes. Um, Then kind of by happenstance and by pure accident in high school, uh, my track coach and his best friend took me up in a small plane and I was immediately hooked. I was uh, 17 at the time. 
So that's how it all started. Wow. So awesome. So how old were you when you came over though? Uh, I was six. Oh, you're very young. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So what is it like, you said you're, so you're the first out of your family to kind of get this interest in aviation, but you're, family y'all are first generation polish immigrants correct so yeah. you all are first generation right yep yep okay and so being first generation how do they view you like how do they view you flying in, in your career like was that a shock to them you know it definitely was being a first generation pilot i imagine is like <laughs> like being a unicorn you were just so different. I felt different for a long time. But at the same token, I didn't really mind. I just knew it was kind of part of the process. Um, and being a female pilot on top of it, I think kind of magnified everything. But again, yeah. it's just kind of all what I knew. So it's what I accepted. That's just kind of how things were. Yeah, it's, it's really cool that you're first generation and then also like treading into the world of aviation where there isn't a lot of women. Um, so with that, being an airline pilot as a female um, in a male dominated industry, like have you had anyone kind of question you as a pilot because you are a woman? Um, you know, I think, I think a on my journey to becoming a major airline pilot, um, I started in corporate aviation and I climbed the corporate ladder fairly quickly. Um, that resulted in getting a lot of different type ratings. So with, with four different flight departments really. So I was always an unknown entity, which meant I had to prove myself time and time again. And because there weren't many young females, I felt I was often doubted until I proved otherwise. <laughs> so um, I think that kind of came naturally with the process. On top of it, I think in today's world, you know, social media in particular is such an incredible tool to help connect people. And I, what I see happening now with all these female aviators, I mean, there's just so many of us uh, that you can find within seconds. At my time, and I, I feel like I'm dating myself, although it's just, you know, 10 years back, 10, 15 years back, there really wasn't that kind of uh, collaboration. So I think I did have some hurdles that you had, you know, I had to overcome, but it was all manageable. So it was all, all very doable. You just had to make sure you, you did the job that you were assigned and you did it well and the best that you could. And it all worked out. Did it ever get frustrating to constantly have to like prove yourself? I I've dealt with that a little bit in my flight training. And that was always one of my biggest pet peeves. I'm like, why can't you just take me serious as is? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't an issue because there was a moment in time where I too kind of got fed up with it. You know, I, I knew I was good at what I did. Numerous people had told me um, it wasn't that my ego needed to hear it. But at a certain point, it's like, you know, I come in here with this resume. It should kind of speak for itself. But there were there were moments for sure. Uh, at one point, I think 
I was also ready to kind of walk away from flying just because of how frustrated I had gotten. And I don't know if it it was my mom using a little bit of reverse psychology on me <laughs> or if it was just something just, um, uh, I don't know, something clicked in my head. But she's like, you know what? If you're sick and tired of it, you don't have to do it. No one's forcing yeah. you. You need to be happy. You need to do what's good for your mental health. And um, I went into that process after that saying, you know what? Nothing says I have to stay here. Nothing says I have to be in any sort of environment I'm unhappy with. I can always walk away. And after that, kind of putting a different spin on it, things started to get better. And it, it, not long before then, I got uh, I received a different job anyway. So it all ended up working out. But yes, I, there were definitely moments <laughs> like that. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that you're able to acknowledge that because I feel like a lot of times, especially professional pilots tend to get a little bit complacent with where they're at in their career or maybe necessarily they're not happy, but it's kind of like, okay, well, I'm just lucky to be where I'm at. But sometimes you have to kind of take a step back and be like, okay, well, if I'm not happy, then what, who am I really doing this for? Yes. And you brought up a very good point, Emma, because the the particular position I'm I'm thinking of it was right in the middle of the recession so you know pilot jobs were so scarce it was really difficult to get a good position to get your flight hours to try and and build the time in hopes of getting something better down the line or in the future that there were a lot of instances where many of us kind of felt trapped so that's even more so when you really have to kind of have a talk with yourself and sit down and think, you know, if this is making me miserable, despite doing the job that I've always wanted to do that I know I love, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're able to like admit that and say that, because like I said, a lot of people aren't, and that's a super important message to give to our followers. We have a lot of student pilots and people just don't get that sometimes, but kind of shifting gears. So during the pandemic, we all know that aviation really shifted into more of a negative space. Did that affect your mental state or or did you see a change in your coworkers? Um, How did that affect you? Well, you know, if I give a little bit of a background, so I can't say I saw a change in my coworkers per se, um, predominantly because the fleet that I was on was immediately grounded. So I was flying a 757, 767, uh, mostly to Europe. And I came back from Dublin on March 6, 2020. And what I didn't know was that was going to be the last time I ever flew that airplane. And I didn't actually fly a commercial airplane again for over nine months or regularly for over a year and a half. So um, yeah, I, I really naively thought that I had been safe from furloughs at that point in my career, but I received a letter in October um, of 2020. So um, as difficult as that part was, and it did have, you know, an effect of on my mental health only because there was, it came with a huge level of certain uncertainty. Um, I think if I had to be honest, uh, I also welcomed it in a weird sense. 
And I think I welcomed it because I had been a bit burnt out <laughs> from the lifestyle. The pandemic actually forced me to stay put. And for a, for a while, uh, I could unpack my suitcase and not have to pack it again for a very long time. Mm. So it, um, yeah, it, and it also made me realize that this career and profession that I've worked so hard for could literally disappear overnight without me being able to do much about it. So it also opened my eyes to wanting other options for myself in case flying, um, you know, didn't pan out like I had imagined. Yeah, I mean, that is like one of the biggest things that I try to pinpoint to is like, as a airline pilot, you're not always promised to keep your job for your whole career. And oftentimes, it's like a cyclical furlough cycle every 10 years, something major happens to where you may get furloughed. Um, but it is unique and your like how you view things and the perspective that you have, because a lot of times I feel like pilots, when they realize like maybe they're not going to be flying anymore, there's an identity crisis that happens. So did you feel like, you know, you were losing kind of part of yourself when you got furloughed? Were you nervous? Like maybe that you wouldn't get back to the flight line? You know, Maddie, you bring up a very good point. I agree with you 1000%. I think a lot of pilots feel that way. And I am included in that group. Um, the difference this time around, I think, was I faced that identity crisis very early on. So right after I got out of flight instructing, building all that time, getting my first corporate job, um, I got furloughed about a year and a half uh, after getting my, my job. Mm -hmm. And then the recession hit. And then there was um, an aircraft accident that increased the hourly minimums. And then- oh. The retirement okay. age. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you went through like a lot of like tumultuous times early on. Oh my yeah. goodness. It was one after the other. And, you know, I fly with guys that have tenure now that have been around for um, decades. So everyone refers to the lost decade in some shape, but the lost decade for me was right in the beginning. Like that's mm -hmm. right when I finished, um, uh, flight instructing. So it was at the very forefront. So I had to mm -hmm. constantly jump over a hurdle and, and then navigate this and then navigate that. And quite a lot of my friends, you know, after the third or fourth hurdle, they're just like, you know what, I'm out. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I, I gave it a good fight. It's just not worth it. The pay's not worth it. Being gone from home is not worth it. All these things. Um, that, you know, do take, do take a big toll on your lifestyle, uh, on your family. And luckily I was able to kind of navigate all those circumstances um, pretty well. I can't say uh, it didn't leave some, some negativity. You know, I was a little bit more realistic about how my potential career could look, but it gave me really good real world advice or really good um, experience to take to the when the pandemic hit because by that point I'm like oh this okay <laughs> pivot 
we're pivoting again. I guess like in a way, like when the pandemic hit, you were kind of already prepared mentally um, emotionally really to like handle what was going to come. Like, because you've already dealt with a bunch of other furlough times and, and just different experiences. So I think definitely that helped you. And, and it's good to know that it's, it's not only going to happen one time, there are going to be a lot of times in your career where, where things will change. Like, and it, it may not be like a pandemic. It could be your company just gets um, bought and you merge with someone and that can be difficult even. Yeah. I, so, I also think part of which, what I'm getting from this is you're able to adapt and that's yeah. a really, really incredible strength. And I think maybe that has something to do with also being an immigrant. I can only imagine, you know, uprooting at six years old. That's like kind of a primal time in your childhood. And then come into the States had to be you know, quite a change and you had to adapt. So it's good that you have that mindset already. Yes, I agree. I think that had a big part uh, to do with it also, although I've never attributed any of my attributes to that. I think there's like a fundamental, you know, foundation there um, that was kind of instilled in me. And I saw my parents struggling, you know, they, they really had it, I think. Uh, so I was fairly young. Um, I didn't actually start speaking English until a few years later, but they were in their 30s, early 30s. So to do that with a kid in tow is really not easy. So I give them, um, you know, uh, a lot of kudos for that because uh, it, it just builds and shapes you a little bit differently. I think you're, you're built a little bit more resilient after that. Yeah, oh, gives you character. For sure. Your parents are amazing. Let's just say that. (laughs) You're giving me, um, who's the celebrity? Oh gosh, she was in that 70s show. Mila Kunis. Oh, Mila. Mila. Oh yeah. 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 That's right. Or that's what your story is. Mila's Ukrainian. Ukrainian. And she she was like six or five when she immigrated here with her family. And yeah, Yeah. that's kind of what you're, I'm I'm getting like the kind of mirroring the story a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. I'm a... (laughs) Anyways, back to um, one of the questions that I had, it's kind of doesn't have to do with what we were just talking about, but I think it's super important because it kind of start, it gives us a perspective of how you got it started with your AV foods. Um, so um, I know that you like to help aviators and on, on their journey. So I know you had this like unique story about your friend who kind of inspired you on your wellness journey. So can you share that story and how it inspired your business? Yeah, absolutely. So in flight school, uh, I befriended a guy uh, really early on, and we kind of began our journey in uh, at the early stages of our flight instructor certifications and then ran into each other uh, a month or so after finishing the program and ended up instructing at the same flight school. So we became very close. And both of us kind of ate the typical uh, sad diet, which it's funny, it stands for sad, but it's, it's, it's known as the standard American diet. Uh, at that time, I'm pretty sure we all ate that way. All the instructors, um, anyone that I knew at that age, you know, your early 20s, right after college. Uh, and as we progressed in our young careers, 
we started to grow physically, financially, mentally. And a few years after kind of wrapping up the flight instructor jobs and positions, I had received my dream job flying a Gulfstream 550 all over the world. Like I had always wanted. It was an incredible uh, time in my life. I was really excited, full of promise, full of hope. <laughs> and he just happened to have upgraded to captain at his company. He was flying a Lear um, 60. And, um, you know, he was just kind of thriving. He was training for his first triathlon. And on New Year's Eve that year, uh, which I think happened to be his first trip as captain, he ended up getting very ill. And they were in Mexico at the time. So he kind of mustered through, had enough strength to fly back to the States. And when they arrived, um, he was so sick that if I my memory serves me right, he was taken by ambulance straight from the airport. Mm -hmm. So no one knew, you know, what was going on. Uh, upon arrival later that day, he was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer at age 36. So the doctors didn't even want to test him for that because he was well below the 50 year mark that they usually do. So after that instance, um, that transformed my whole relationship with food, healthcare, nutrition labels, et cetera. It began a trajectory of wanting to be better and do better and hopefully make a positive uh, difference in someone's life. Um, and girls, is, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not sure if you can hear any of the background noise. Oh, it's okay. You're fine. You're fine. No okay. Her voice is coming through well. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that is when I decided to um, enroll a couple of years after that whole instance uh, to an integrative nutrition program to become a certified health coach. Um, I kind of witnessed firsthand what his uh, medical treatment was like, the foods that he was being fed, um, just the whole process, but such a bad taste in my mouth, literally. Um, unfortunately, he ended up passing away just eight weeks after he had gotten diagnosed, but he inspired me to keep going and keep trying. And right before the pandemic, after I finished my certification course, I formulated a, a really nutritious hydration electrolyte powder. Um, and mostly because I hated the taste of water. <laughs> I, know that's, I know that's weird. Um, a lot of people just laugh when I say that, but you're I not alone. It. You're not alone. A lot of people are like that. Yeah. I just don't know what it was. So I'm like, you know, I can't fly these long haul trips all over the globe and not be hydrated. It's, it's really not good. So I developed this powder. I had all these things lined up, um, going to events, half marathons, rock and roll, mar uh, half marathons, uh, all these running events around the country. I had a little crew of, of my running friends that were in my club with me in Chicago. And then the pandemic hit, like right after I got all this stuff delivered. So that was tough because it was, you know, I really didn't know how to pivot from that. And I'm, I didn't really feel super comfortable promoting myself. I didn't know really how to do it well online. And so... It kind of, um, 
it didn't it didn't go as far as I had wished. But um, I continued to sell online, continued to sell on Amazon, and that was that. So fast forward a few years later, you know, my life had somewhat returned back to normal. Um, or excuse me, a few months later, uh, the flying started to pick up. But when I was uh, during the pandemic, uh, when I was kind of sitting at home, not really doing much, um, I was cooking and I was baking all the time. And um, I decided uh, I was living with someone actually who happened to to have a pretty unhealthy and insecure relationship with food. So to help them navigate their issues a little bit better, I became, I, I began coming up with all sorts of healthy alternatives and options. And they not only loved them, but promoted them to everyone. So all of my friends started to really enjoy everything I was making at home. And I took it as an initiative at a second chance and a, and a possibility of impacting people's lives for the better. I was confident the things that I was creating could help. So I decided to launch uh, my take of a healthy granola, something I've been obsessed with for years. And that's really how Avi Foods and Avinola was born. <laughs> and if you, can, if you can sense, I don't know if you guys, um, you know, I've seen my logo. It's kind of a, it looks like a bird slash an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> And Avinola is, it has to do with, with, um, you know, my take kind of on aviation. Uh, Avi stands for bird in Latin. Uh, the, the type of bean I use to make the granola, it's not oat-based. It's very grounded with the earth. It's regenerative. It's eco-friendly. Uh, you can grow the bean without using any fertilizer. So it's very good for the soil. It's good for the farmers that grow it. So everything kind of comes together in one piece is that the is it the loopy is that how you say it the lupine or lupini bean yeah lupini bean and that is right on the front of the bag which i did want to give you a little shout out your granola smacks um <laughs> it but i see what you mean as like far as influencing people to make like actual changes in their life that might seem small to others but are really significant for me to like have a bag of granola that tastes so good that it's almost like the same satisfaction as a cookie. Um, and then to be able to sit down and when I'm having a little craving, like at night and I'm sitting in bed, I can just grab my bag of granola and a, I feel so much better, but B I know I'm not putting like a chips, like loading myself with chips, ahoy, that's going to tear me up in the middle of the night. Um, so it does, it does really make a difference putting healthy food into your body. And that's one thing that we talk about a lot in aviation because you're always on the go. It's hard to maintain a healthy lifestyle. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, the, the average pilot is on the road, I would say a good half of the month, right? Unless you pick up some um, premium paid trips or maybe have some vacation. Generally speaking, you're gone for almost half the year. That's a lot of time that you have to kind of finagle and 
try to figure out some good options. Airports don't always have it. Yesterday I flew four legs. Um, there wasn't even enough time to peruse the airport to try to get something. So most of the wow. time it's whatever snacks they have on board or whatever you know you can grab your hands on. And the idea and premise was to create something, um, one, that not only tastes great, that people will actually enjoy eating, but two, that really is good for you. I mean, one cup of our granola is 100% of your daily fiber, 15 grams of protein. We, add, we don't add any uh, added sugars, less than one gram of total sugars. Uh, it's just, it's really good stuff that's meant to make you feel good and thrive instead yeah. of, you know, the opposite. When, when my friend was in the hospital, it blew my mind some of the items he was served. And this was not just any hospital. This is one of the world-renowned, um, very, uh, with, I, I won't mention names, but it was very well-known, prestigious, and very expensive, to be frank. And I, I'm pretty sure he was given um, a sloppy joe the first day, uh, some sort of a uh, meatloaf the next day with mashed potatoes, a lot of sugary gravy, dressing that was all sugar, um, there were, there just wasn't anything fresh, anything that you could really, um, nothing that I think it nourishes a, the body. A, exactly. Nothing that a cancer patient on very aggressive chemo treatment should be eating. Um, there was dessert given ice cream, you know, why are we feeding someone sugar? It just, it blew Isn't my it mind. Interesting how, like when you go to those hospital settings, cause it, it's not only there. I've, my mom worked in hospital. She was a nurse and I don't think the food really has changed much. Honestly, I think it's always been processed and fast and it's really like counterintuitive. Like when you actually think about it, that you're feeding this to people who are already sick, it's only making them sicker. Exactly. And, I, and, and I'm pretty sure cancer survives on sugar. Like that's one of the big things that they tell you if you're ever diagnosed is do not eat sugar, even if it's a fruit, like yes. don't eat sugar. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Right. And it, those are the people that, um, you know, we instill, we, we give, we kind of give them the keys to drive. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and we hope that they're going to lead us on the right path. And more often than not, it's just not the case. So mm -hmm. it's sad. It, you really kind of have to start doing your own research. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's what we talk about that a lot. The, the, the amount of trust and faith that you put into medical professionals, because that's what their job is. And sometimes people don't understand, but like I, we've talked to a lot of people that have had to really medically advocate for themselves. And that can be so hard. Like I said, going back on, this is a professional that you're paying and, and putting basically your life into you trust them with your life. So to have to advocate for yourself can be really difficult. Um, but but kind of switching gears again, and I love this conversation, and I know you are very resilient, but I wanted to ask you, what's it been like juggling the business and also your, your job as an airline pilot? What has that taught you? Uh, it has taught me to be much more organized, <laughs> uh, or at least try to in every sense of the word possible. Um, it's, it's challenging for sure. But you know, I try not to stress out too much about it. Because whenever it comes to a point where it's, um, it's becoming too much, 
that's how I know it, it has to make sense. Everything has to have a place and I, I deserve, you know, everyone deserves some mental relaxation. So if, if it's not, um, if it's not hurting anyone, things can wait. You, you can, you can make things progress in a, in a way that makes sense for you and for the people that you are working with. And also it has taught me to delegate certain tasks to other people that perhaps are more efficient at doing them. You know, as pilots, sometimes you feel like you have to do it all, or you tend to be a little bit more of a, um, type A. A. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. It has to, it has to be perfect. You can do it. And, and that kind of can, play into being a female right yeah (laughs) we feel like we we can juggle it all but the truth is I've learned very quickly that I can juggle it all but the problem is sometimes you don't juggle everything well and I would rather pass the baton to someone who could do it better than me while me attaining to other other issues so it's taught me a lot of uh, organizational skills for sure I think that's like great advice though, because I think like you said, with pilots being type A, they oftentimes try to do it all, which gives them even more stress and anxiety um, when they don't need to do that. Like, you know, it's just, it's good to know that you can delegate and you're good at, you're going to stay in your lane and do what you do good. So, and other people can take care of the things that cause you stress. And it reminds me of the podcast. (laughs) Yes, seriously. It, I mean, and that's so true. Like when I, when I asked Maddie to come on and, and be a host, it was kind of like one of those things where I had to, you know, give up the reins. Maddie's got one rein, I've got the other, and we both collectively steer the horse together, but it was figuring out, you know, these are my subset of things that a, I'm not good at and B, maybe I don't have the time to do. So we've been able to kind of like split that, but having somebody and being able to realize that, you can, you can ask for help. And that's been one of my biggest pet peeves is like reminding myself that you can always ask for help. Um, and also what you said about, you know, if it's not hurting somebody, but it is hurting you, you don't necessarily have to do it right now, right then. Um, that's a really, really good lesson that not a lot of people understand, but it's also being a student and growing up in your life, you're always taught that there's a deadline. Um, so I feel like we get complacent and we fall into that pattern where we constantly feel this pressure of, of having to perform and perform on time. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you don't want to disappoint anyone or, um, you know, people's times are valuable as well. I understand that. But sometimes you just have to, you, there's, there's exceptions to every rule, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Maggie, like during your career, have you ever felt like you've had to suppress your feelings or emotions because of the, the mental health stigma that, that we have currently in aviation? Or have you experienced like burnout And then how did you overcome that if you have? Yes. So yes to all of that. (laughs) I think, um, I think I believe every single pilot has, has probably had some sort of an issue come up, um, whether it's anything from something as simple as um, getting into an argument with a spouse or a friend or you know, you're on your way to the airport and you get into a car accident and you're not in probably the best mental that state. That happens. 
my dad did that. He rear-ended an ambulance one day on the way to on the way to work. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he was flying out of Philly and he rear-ended an ambulance. That does happen, guys. Yeah. No, that happened it, to my friend too. It Literally does. Fell down the stairs and well, I'll tell you the story real quick. He fell down the stairs. He had to go on his trip. He hurt his tailbone so bad that he was like, I'm going to call my girlfriend because she's a doctor and ask her if I should go to work. While he's on his way to work, he passes <laughs> out from the pain. Oh my gosh. His car. He's on the way to his oh trip. God. And then he realizes maybe I should call screw scheduling. <laughs> oh I can't fly today. But he's good now. But I was like, I can't believe he did that. You know, it happens. You know, I believe it. And I think, I think um, all the things that you girls advocate, that's such a good example. I mean, he was that worried, right? There were so many other side conversations going on in his mind, um, whether subconsciously or not, about some fear or some worry about repercussion, that he felt he could do it. He should be able to do it. So, yes, I I have. And I think my burnout uh, moment probably came um right around the pandemic it just happened to be around the same time so like i mentioned when when things started to shut down instead of feeling a lot of anxiety over potentially being furloughed i started to feel relief and that's how i knew i'm like oh i'm no longer worried about losing my job i'm i'm feeling some relief that i might be able to relax and not go 150 miles an hour I love that perspective though because it's like you knew that about yourself and I think most people were very scared at that time and good on you for recognizing like wow I actually really need this this time to myself and this break yeah so one thing that I I kind of found was interesting when we were talking on the phone, Maggie, was that you mentioned that you weren't able to sign the petition until really recently because you were kind of afraid of the repercussions that you might face. Um, so I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think you were so afraid of and what gave you the courage to sign? Yeah. And, you know, I, I felt silly saying that out loud because I... I value the work that you guys put into the mental health space and sector and how well you represent all the aviators out there and putting things on the forefront. But honestly, I think I was worried that if someone saw my name on the petition, they may judge me or maybe they may think I had an issue. And then it just hit me one day where I started laughing at how stupid that really was. I mean, I cannot think of one person walking on this planet that hasn't been through some stuff, not one. And what is better to continually sweep it under the rug and pretend it's not there or to actually offer people help? Because as we all know, some people are able to deal with um, issues better than others. But I feel there's absolutely no reason that pilots should not have access to mental health or should feel, you know, should fear repercussions for doing so. I think the brain should be treated like a muscle. We have fitness trainers, uh, fitness classes, we have health stores, 
you know, everyone gets a green smoothie from time to time to feel better. And why not a coach to help navigate life's issues sometimes? So I just thought about it. I'm like, you know what, if I'm going to lose my job over signing a petition for people that are truly putting their neck out there for the rest of us, then there are really bigger problems at stake. Um, yeah, no one should ever feel that trapped. Well, it's it's funny, you know, that you mentioned that because it almost the reasons for you not signing almost embody exactly what the petition is for is that people shouldn't live in this much fear, fear of like simply putting your name on something that is a good thing. Um, so I, I, I commend you for being able to admit that and also for being able to share that because I know that there are, you know, a handful of people out there that really haven't. And I, I truly do believe that, that there are probably a lot of people that want to sign the petition, but they are afraid of exactly what you said, Maggie. Yes. And you know, it comes in various forms, right? So I think generally speaking in today's world and the, the places that we live in, in the U S it's a little bit more accepted. Uh, But in, you know, different parts of the world, things like this, like anything that has to do with mental health really truly is frowned upon, not only frowned upon, but it's, it has a very negative um, stance. People look at you very negatively for, for something that really shouldn't be, right? So I think we're also very lucky to be able to live in a place that's far more accepting than other places in the world. I think that's such a good thing that you just pointed out because I haven't thought about it. I have in some context, but even now, even though we think mental health and aviation is so far backwards, you know, very archaic, it's still a million steps ahead of a lot of other places and a lot of other countries. I'm just thinking um, of the latest China Eastern crash and how that is definitely a mental health related thing. But I honestly don't think the Chinese government will even say anything about it you know like they're not going to point out that this pilot had a mental health issue they're going to try to bury it yeah and and I know that has happened here but I think obviously we're a little bit farther ahead in that we can at least talk about it so yes I think overall we're we're light years ahead even if I were to compare things like uh, the dynamic between a first officer and a captain I mean they're I'm treated like an equal and I'm so thankful for that. I don't feel any different. Um, you know, I get equal speaking power, equal time on the microphone <laughs> if I like it. Uh, but in other places, I know that's not the case. Um, not only the first officer captain dynamic, but now you throw in maybe female that adds another level of complexity so a lot of things at play for sure yeah some definite like thinking points for me to to think about too um but leading kind of off of that is there anything that you wish you would have known before choosing aviation as your career path i think the only thing maybe it's it's two things really one I wish I would have gotten a better idea (laughs) of how windy the road would be before I got to, you know, where I kind of wanted to be. Um, That maybe would have made things a little bit more digestible 
throughout the process. But also, I kind of wish I would have trusted the process at the same time. So not freaked out about every time something happened. And, you know, I, I like to uh, pivot a lot. And I think I've gotten very good at it. But I, I wish I would have, um, yeah, relaxed a little bit, maybe. It wouldn't have been as stressful. Yeah. Kind of like what you were going back to, like just taking your time and and doing things at your own pace when it feels right for you. But so my last or last question for you is if you were speaking to a fellow co-pilot or another aviator who is maybe ignoring or struggling with a health issue or avoiding a doctor's visit because of their job, what advice or wisdom would you impart on them? Well, one thing I would say for sure is to think about the repercussions potentially of, of what could happen if they don't seek any help or if they don't see someone at all um, and what that life could look like uh, if they were to do that. And secondly, to encourage them, you know, if they feel uncomfortable speaking to perhaps an aviation doctor or someone of that type of authority, then at least to entertain the idea of someone like a holistic practitioner or anyone that could help guide them through whatever. You're barking up Maddie's tree. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> yeah. are. Yes. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of that uh, anyway, but just to entertain other options because there really are a lot of different areas that you can, or different ways you can attack a given problem. It doesn't have to be the way that you're most uncomfortable with. And I think a lot of people feel that if they don't share with the medical aviation doctor, then one, their problem is not going to get solved. Or if it is, they're going to lose their certificate. Mm -hmm. So maybe encouraging a different path first. I like it. I think that's great advice. Like Emma said, it, it is right up my alley. I, uh, me and my husband, we both go to a naturopath. So um, it's just a different way of doing medicine. I feel like they spend more time with you and oftentimes, and just if you go to a regular doctor, they don't have the time because they have numbers that they have to fulfill. They have to see so many patients and they have to do so much more than they, they used to be required to do. So in that way, it doesn't seem as personable. And when you go to these more holistic doctors, they, they do have the time and, and they're able to spend that time with you. Exactly. And, you know, through my uh, holistic nutritional health course, one of the things that was really emphasized throughout the course was um, it was more geared towards working with clients or, or I, I use the word patient very loosely because I'm not trained as a medical doctor, but when you have clients come and, and ask for advice, um, if they have some sort of an ailment, we, we were advised to ask them a plethora of questions. And the majority of them actually did not have to do with, you know, what did you eat, but how are you feeling? Um, are you happy at your job? what's going on at home. <laughs> it was things of that nature so that you could really piece together a whole picture 
versus, you know, oh, I have a lot of um, stomach pain. I feel bloated or I feel sick after I eat this food. Oh, you must have a food intolerance. Well, it can go much deeper than that. Um, so there's, it's, it's really involved. Yeah, that reminds me of my, because I have a little nutrition background as well. I have a certificate in nutrition, but that was the same exact thing in the mindset through the program that I went through is actually getting down to the root cause of why these things are happening instead of just medicating for a certain issue. Like, oh, I feel dizzy. Well, then, you know, yeah, drink water. You know, there's more to it, to everything than just like one one thing and and typically what you find if you go to regular doctors is they just prescribe you a pill real quick because they know like if I don't give them this they're going to come back for something else and it's not going to help so um, going to like a naturopath or holistic practitioner I feel like you'll get down to the root cause of what is actually going on Exactly. I agree. And, you know, to be fair, uh, because I have a a lot of friends who are doctors, they they didn't honestly get enough training um, in the food space during their uh, during medical school, which is hard to believe. But if you ask the typical medical student, they just didn't devote a lot of time to that type of studies, which blows my mind. So. Yeah, there's a lot of things I think that need to change all around. Isn't the like the old saying by Hippocrates is um, food is thy medicine or something like that? And I'm surprised you didn't pay more attention to that. Exactly. For for medical professionals. But yeah, I know I totally agree with that. Even my mom is a nurse. Like I found that I was actually teaching her more about food and nutrition after I went through my course. And I would have thought that she would have already had that knowledge as a nurse, you know? Yeah. um, That is the end of our questions, but now we have the fun questions to get to know you better. So the first (laughs) one is, are you low maintenance or are you high maintenance? Girls, I wish you could see my nails right now (laughs) because you would know I am so low maintenance. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Okay, but I have my nails done and I still consider myself low maintenance. Maddie, you are you are high maintenance girl. You, every single time I text Maddie, she's like either getting her hair done or her nails did. I'm like, girl. Okay, literally though, that was only after the pandemic like ended because I didn't really like do anything for myself. Like I didn't get my hair done for like two years and I didn't get my nails done for the longest time. I was like, I don't really care. Um, and one of my pilot wife friends would always get her nails done. And I was like, they're so cute. Like I just need nails like this. And so ever since I started getting them done, I can't stop. Cause I'm just obsessed and it feels good when like you get your nails done, your hair done, it makes you feel like more put together as an, like an adult. I feel like, yeah. I agree. I agree. I just, I'm like a toddler because I'm running around all the time doing stuff. My nails look look pretty for about the first four days <laughs> then that's it it's over so the only reason I say Maddie is high maintenance is is in a good way where like Maddie is like very on a schedule she's up at a good hour she's eating healthy all the time she's going and working out she has a walk that she does every single day and honestly if Maddie didn't do all those things Maddie wouldn't be who Maddie is so I'm like you know what I mean? I need to start <laughs> claiming that I'm high maintenance then. 
you, you are though yeah. in the best sense. Like okay, I consider you. myself low maintenance because I just don't do anything that's of high maintenance for myself. I think of maintenance as like a good thing. Like you do maintenance on your car and that's a good thing. Yes. 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 It's self-care. It's just yeah, exactly. Exactly. I wish I was a little bit more high maintenance, but right now I am very low maintenance, but I'm getting there. I'm running three days a week. You do have high maintenance tendencies. Like how long does it take you to put your makeup on? (laughs) Oh, it's it's an hour. It's an hour. (laughs) 15 minutes to put my makeup on and I don't do any of that contour crap. So that's what makes you high maintenance. <laughs> yeah, true. I really, I, when it comes to my makeup, I will say I'm pretty high. My makeup and my hair, I'm high maintenance, but everything else. But I haven't got my hair professionally done in like a year or cut or any of that. But yeah, my makeup, girl, I'm beat to the gods. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need some lessons, girls. I need to, uh, yeah, I, I need to pick I up can, on some of this. <laughs> I can't give you lessons. I just like, I've never been able to figure out how to go on the YouTube t- tutorials and actually like do that to myself. So I can't, well, teach you, you know, one, one thing they don't talk about enough is a lot of people teach makeup for what looks good on their face. And what you really need is somebody to like, who knows makeup, who can sit down and be like, all right, well, even though every other girl is doing nose contour, nose contour isn't going to look good on your nose. And if you want to do it, this is how you do it. Cause you just, it's all about learning, but I swear I credit it to, I've been doing makeup since I was probably 12 years old, just for fun. And it isn't until like 22 years old that I can confidently say, I, I like my makeup. Like, I feel like it's the way that I want it to, but it's taken me all those years, almost 10 years to figure out, okay, this is how I want it done. So basically Emma was in diapers and she was putting blush on and, yep. Yep. <laughs> and that's what makes her high maintenance. High maintenance. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay. So, so next question, Maggie, what's the weirdest thing that you've ever eaten? Oh my gosh. I am such a wimp. I have flown to a lot of places all over the world and no, absolutely not. Uh, I can't say I've eaten anything because I think I've watched too many episodes of Fear Factor. Mm. Oh my gosh, that's totally coming to mind for me too. But is there like, okay, so like, let's say if there's some weird Polish food that, you know, people might be like have an aversion to that you've eaten? Um... I don't think so. Cabbage rolls. No, they're so innocent and lovely. <laughs> so but, innocent. but people, but people in America, like I love the, you know, like a cabbage roll with the ground beef or pork with like red, with like the tomato sauce. I think that's a Polish thing, but it is. I love that. And not a lot of people like think of that as something that they would like crave or like really enjoy. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, but you know, when you think about it, it's, it's kind of plain, right? It like, is, it is, like, but it's, it's so not good. like, it's not like alligator or whatever. Oh my God. It's so eat. funny. You just said that because that's mine. <laughs> really? <laughs> alligator? Mine is al- alligator and escargot. Okay. So yeah. Snail and alligator. I Mine couldn't even too. try alligator. I was uh, I was on a trip with some girlfriends and they wanted me to try. I'm like, nope, nope. Can't it's do so it. good. Like shockingly. And I'm a picky, like, I don't like stuff like that, but it was honestly 
something that I never in a million years would have expected. It tasted better than chicken. And that's like, not a lie. I like snails. They were disgusting. Dumb. No, no. I can't believe you ate a snail. Honestly. Oh, it's because my, I call her my mother-in-law, but she's not my mother-in-law yet. Um, if she cooks anything like, because I want to make her happy so bad and I will do anything to have her like with me and like me, I ate them. I was like, I don't care. I watched her take them out of the can and everything. And I still ate them. And I've always said since I was a little girl, that that's the one thing I would never eat, but here we are. Here we are. I have a question for you guys. Have you guys had sardines? Cause like when I look at sardines, those really gross me out. No, see, I can't do that. I cannot. I haven't had them either. I just can't. I've only had them because like, okay, see, here we go with another people pleasing event. Um, my (laughs) father would like every now and then, like we'd be hunting or something. And my father would take it to the next level and bring a can of sardines and act like it's the end of the world. And like, this is the only thing that he has as an option to eat. But whenever he would do that, I'd be like, you know, I want my dad to like literally love me. So I'll pop one of those suckers in and I just would swallow them whole. I've only had like five, but every single one I've ever had, I swallowed it whole. I just sucked it right back. (laughs) Is it salty? (laughs) You know, they're really like, because they're in that can for so long, they're really not like that bad. It could be worse. What's the Swedish fish that is like rotten in the can that they love? I can't think of what it's called, but there are way worse options. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Maddie, though? What have you, what's the weirdest thing you've eaten? Honestly, I haven't, uh, I'm just like trying to think because like I've had gator balls, which tasted like chicken to me. So it's funny <laughs> you said that they were better than chicken. And this is like so long ago that I don't really remember oh. being like grossed out about it. But I think the grossest thing is probably like an insect, like a cricket. We had to <gasps> eat, like test those out in the eighth grade or something like that. Our science teacher was like, you guys can eat bugs. So that's probably the grossest thing I've tried. Oh, Never again. don't you recommend. Know, that's, that's so funny that you say that Maddie, because a friend of mine was just on a trip. Um, and she's also a pilot and she, she posted a photo of her eating crickets with hot sauce and some lime juice. And she's like the best thing ever. And I just took one look at the photo. I'm like, no, like, I can't with the legs, no the yeah. legs, the oh, legs. God. Yes. And yeah. getting it like maybe an antenna, like stuck in your tooth, or I don't know. I'm just like grossed out by those things. Like, nah, I'm good. antenna. <laughs> the way you said that, an antenna, just like sticking in your tooth. You're like trying to pick it out. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to move on because that I I killed a massive. I was telling Maddie the other day a huge millipede was on my floor and like I had to kill it and it I've never like really killed bugs like that but this was one of those moments where when I went to kill it I thought I would only have to put a little bit of force into it I had to put all my weight to crush this millipede and my immediate thought was people eat these people Mm -hmm. literally in other countries eat these and it's like a delicacy like people like it and there was blood on the floor after I crushed it and and we just lost most of the listeners and they're gone. Yep. They're <laughs> out. They've left. They've, they've left the chat. Yes. Well, I guess we'll move on to the next one. Then l- next and last question. So do you have any tats and what's the meaning of one of them? If you do have a tattoo? Oh, I don't. However, <laughs> however, I've always, I've always wanted a sleeve. <laughs> 
Oh my God, these look so badass at the sleep, Maggie. Which is so weird because, you know, it's so unlike me. People don't expect that. But I got to the point during the pandemic, I started ordering these fake tattoos and I was just going to literally... I think so. Yeah. Like yeah. one of those companies, I was just going to yeah. do like my whole arm. Like, I just want to see what this looks like. So no, I do not, but maybe some, some future ones in the works. Yeah, yeah, that would be in the next five years. Yeah. <laughs> that would be so hot though. Like the short sleeve, like uniform with the full sleeve. I've always thought that that would look really sick. Like with the uniform, I think that would be so hot. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine what people would think? <laughs> I think they it were, would look good. We're know? getting there with all the military people coming over into the civilian world. They've had to let it go. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Okay, Emma, what about you? Tattoo. Well, I have one. And of course, it's my father's signature for obvious reasons. I, shall I? I don't even have to explain. But yeah, it's my father's signature. I got it in red ink right on my wrist. And it's, I cannot commit a crime now because my last name is <laughs> physically on me. I take a lot of pride. I love that though. Oh, I, that's really nice. Yeah, it's a good, it's a nice meaning. Yeah, yeah. I, I debated it for a really long time. And like, I could have gone out and gotten it like, cause I turned 18 a month, exactly a month because my dad died on June 30th. My birthday is on July 30th. So it was exactly a month my 18th birthday. And I thought about getting tattooed then, but I waited because I wanted to make a responsible decision. And it was almost a year later that I had contemplated this and I finally ended up doing it. And I, I do not regret it. I don't regret it one bit. Yeah. I, I love sentimental tattoos. So I have two and they're both like very good. Simple. Yeah. They're uh, for my two friends. So they both passed away when they were young and I'll just tell you about the one, the one that I just, it's the most recent one. My friend who passed away, she had a overdose from fentanyl, but, um, it's a diamond because she picked out my diamond, my diamond ring for me and my husband. She helped Jesse find the diamond for me. And then she also helped me find Jesse's ring, but she's always been like super into diamonds. So she, I call her like my diamond friend. And that's why I get the diamond for her. Oh my goodness. Uh, but yeah, like all my tattoos, if I get one, they're definitely going to be very sentimental. Like if I get more, they always have like some sentimental like value to them. That yeah. is a fact. I'm right there with you. I'm like, if I'm going to get something permanently put on my body, it has to mean a lot to me. So I still haven't found like anything yet that's worthy of it I I do eventually I would like to get like the date that I got my private pilot's license just because that was like I, I can't think of it at a better day that was just like the best day of my life um and a moment that I really was proud of myself I think that was the first time in my uh, even my childhood and my adult life where I actually was like man I did that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, that's the nice thing about tattoos. I feel like the majority of people, it really does have a special meaning behind it. So there's always some sort of a story to tell. It's really cool. Now, see, now you guys have inspired me. There's a sleeve coming. (laughs) You gotta do it. You gotta do it. You could do like a map and like have like the plane and like everywhere that you've been, but also you like immigrating from Poland to America. <laughs> Girl, don't tempt me with a good time. I can come up with a lot of ideas. 
And it's got like your whole sleeve like imagined for you. <laughs> yes, yes. A compass, like somewhere in there. It could almost be like a sectional map. Ooh, that's what you should do. Instead of a regular map, do a sectional of the entire world. <laughs> It would take like years for them to complete it. You'd have to like get multiple sessions done. It would cost like thousands of dollars, but hey. (laughs) I like this. You have a whole plan together. I dig it. Yes. I love tattoos. But anyways, Maggie, thank you so much for joining us. And I I really, I just enjoyed this conversation so much. And I'm so glad we got to meet. I am too. Thank you girls very much, first of all, for having me on, but more importantly, for really doing good work and representing us so well. Um, There's so many people that I believe don't even give any acknowledgement that are rooting for you guys behind the scenes. So believe that. Um, I thank you for everything you do. You guys are a really good part um, for our industry. Thank you. I know my heart is exploding. Well, before I start crying, um, remember, guys, keep the blue side up and the brown side down.